Bibles are open to Galatians chapter number 6. We're going to look at a, a familiar verse here in uh, just a moment. We're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight, so I hope you have your Bible uh, ready uh, to turn to uh, various uh, different places. In the, uh, in the world that the Lord has placed me in the last several years, I've had an opportunity to become acquainted with some remarkable people. Uh, the other day, I was uh, down at the uh, down in Center Street in, in Wallingford getting uh, my chiropractic treatment, and uh, Dr. Tracy said to me, "She goes, I think most of your parishioners have been in to see me today." And by the way, can I just say thank you for being a positive testimony for the Lord. Uh, she's had nothing but good things to say about the folks from our church. And I appreciate your testimony. But we were there and, and I had injured my back, as most of you are aware of. And so uh, uh, I actually had two chiropractors spending about an hour at a time working on me, trying to uh, get me back upright and on my feet again. And uh, she was talking to me there in, in the front uh, right-hand corner of the building that, uh, that they purchased and moved their business to. There's some empty office space there. And uh, they were looking to, to rent that out to some type of medical person. And uh, she said, we had a doctor that came in. She said, I actually treat her. Um, and she, uh, she comes in from time to time. Uh, she's an above-the-knee amputee and called her name out. Um, and uh, it was somebody that I was familiar with. And I said, is she a Paralympic athlete, a runner? She said, well, yes. I said, does she go to the Hangar Clinic in North Haven? And she said, I, I believe that is the one. And so we talked a little bit about uh, this particular doctor who is, who's actually, I believe, made the U.S. Paralympic team for uh, 2024. But I've had the opportunity to come in contact with some remarkable people. Uh, there is a gentleman, uh, I, there, I, I, I'm not sure if I got the, the, the name of the TV show right. It's not something that I would ever watch. Is there a show called The Bachelor? Yeah, and how do you know? Yeah. See, you all knew it was a setup. I, I think that's the name of it. This guy was a contestant on that show. Um, he actually had to, to uh, drop out because he developed some health issues that, that resulted uh, in him becoming an above-the-knee amputee. Through the process of what he went through, he found Christ as his Savior. And he, uh, I, I follow him on Facebook. We're friends. We communicate back and forth a little bit. Uh, and he is very bold to talk about the, what the Lord Jesus has done in his life and so forth. And, and I, I'm privileged to get to know some of these people. There's another young man. Uh, he's a Hispanic young man in his 30s who actually lives in Rhode Island, just a, uh, maybe two hours from where we're, we're standing here tonight. Uh, his first name is Brian. I won't give you the last name. Uh, Brian is one of those um, multi-talented athletes. Um, he does uh, strength training. Uh, he does running. Uh, he does cycling. He does a whole bunch of different sports. And like myself, uh, he is an above-the-knee amputee. Um, he's been given a, a great sphere of influence. And by the way, Brian, like this other gentleman, uh, professes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I, I appreciate people that, uh, that are in our world that are trying to be a testimony for the Lord in that manner. And I've enjoyed getting to know this young man through Facebook. I guess there are some positives to social media. Uh, following his story, and, and the truth is, he's one of those that has encouraged me a lot uh, over the last 
last several years. About a year or so ago, uh, Brian made a post that, that sort of surprised all of us uh, that follow him and all of us. There's a couple amputee groups and it was repeated on all of them. He didn't have any pictures on there. He just, he just had a statement on there. He said, I am tired of this life. I don't want to do this anymore. And he left it at that. And if you will, it was a cry for help. It was a young man that has overcome some tremendous things. He's got a little boy uh, that's about 10 years of age. Um, and uh, he has become, Brian himself has become well-known. He's been successful as an athlete, uh, as what's called an influencer, that type thing. But all of a sudden, and I don't know what precipitated it, he just, maybe life blindsided him and he just got, he just got tired of it. He said, I am so tired of this life. I don't want to do this anymore. And immediately, uh, amputees began reaching out to him. Uh, and within a matter of a couple hours, he had hundreds and hundreds of comments. Some of them were as simple as uh, praying for you, brother. Uh, so if there's anything I can do, let me know. And, and, and I added my prayers to that. And then I, I uh, messaged him privately uh, on message, uh, Facebook message, just reached out to him. Um, shared a few things with him and he and I worked back and forth and Brian worked through it and uh, he's, he's back up being very, very positive again. But here's a, here's a young man that overcame so very much, a young man that he, he has a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a faith in Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose. But as he was going through the course and the journey that God planned for him, it got difficult and it just sort of overwhelmed him. And I'm not sure he could point to any one factor, but one day he just woke up and he was, he just said, I'm tired of this life. I don't want to do this anymore. That happens to a lot of people. It happened to some of the greatest uh, individuals in the word of God, keeping your place in Galatians chapter six. Could I get you to turn to first Kings 19? Elijah was a remarkable man of God. James refers to the testimony of Elijah as a, as a righteous man uh, whose, whose uh, uh, prayers uh, uh, availed so much with God. In chapter 18 of 1 Kings, God used Elijah to call down fire from heaven. The, the prophets and the priests of Baal, some 800 false teachers, uh, were put to death. And, the, and the, the Jewish people, for the first time in generations, were crying out in unison, the Lord, meaning Jehovah. He is God, the Lord, he is the God. And there's a great victory that day. But in chapter 19, if you look at verse one, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now, the truth is, Elijah should not have been afraid of one evil woman. He had spent the day prior withstanding 800 wicked men. In a prayer of 63 words, God answered him. Fire came from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, the water, the altar. You know all, all of that account given in the Bible. But there was just something about this particular moment 
Maybe Elijah had his hopes up that the, the victory is finally won. Uh, Israel will be God's people once again. And then he found out the battle's still going on. Jezebel's still in power. And, and now she wants to take my life. Verse three, when he saw that he arose and went for his life, came to Beersheba, that's the southernmost part of the land of Israel, which belongeth to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. Long before my friend Brian said, I am tired of this life. I don't want to do this anymore. There was an Elijah that said, God, I've had enough. I've had enough. Take away my life. Before Elijah, there was Moses who one day lamented to the Lord and said, Lord, if this is the way it's going to be, uh, nothing he ever did was good enough for God's people. Nothing that God ever did was good enough for God's people. And every time Moses turned around, they were criticizing him. They were criticizing Aaron. They were criticizing the Lord. Moses had interceded for these people on at least two occasions when God said, let me alone, let my wrath wax hot against them and I'll destroy them all and start over and make a new nation of you. Uh, Moses interceded for those people, but it never, it was never good enough. And Moses got to a place that Lord, just, just, I'm weary of my life. Just take me home. Kill me. Just, just take me home. If this is the way that this is going to be throughout the word of God, there were some very good people that just got tired, that just got weary in well-doing back in Galatians chapter number six in verse nine, the apostle Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, who, by the way, before the end of his life, would all turn their backs on him. He would say, all they which be in Asia have forsaken me. But he writes to those people and said, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. I have this highlighted in my Bible so that every time I come across this page, my eye will be drawn to this verse because I can't speak for anyone else in this room but I understand the way Elijah felt to some extent. I understand the way my friend Brian felt, felt to some extent. There are times that we're busy serving the Lord, doing what God's called us to do. And then it just seems like we get overwhelmed with it all. And we might not verbalize it because we don't want people to think ill of us. But in our hearts, we're thinking, I don't want this life anymore. I'm just tired of this. Demas was a faithful companion of the Apostle Paul. He's mentioned in the book of Philemon. He's mentioned in the book of Colossians. But at the end of Paul's life, he says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. Uh, sometimes even the servants of the Lord get weary in well-doing. If it happened to Elijah, if it could happen to Moses, if it could happen to Demas, do you suppose it might happen to us every now and then? But Paul says, let us not be weary in well-doing, in, in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. What causes saints, good people, 
Moses was a good man. He was a godly man. Uh, he, he saw God face to face. Do you understand that? Elijah was a godly man. He's a man who had power with God. Uh, in Jeremiah, not just in chapter 9, but several times in the book of Jeremiah, he said, I'm, I'm just done with this. In, in Jeremiah 9, he said, oh, that I had a place for wayfaring men in the wilderness. And said, uh, in other words, I, I wish I had some little house out in the wilderness along the, the path somewhere for travelers just to stop in, uh, you know, uh, spend the night. Uh, give them some breakfast, send them on their way. And I really never had to do this ministry stuff anymore. He said, boy, I wish I, that could be my way. One point he said, I am never going to make mention of the name of the Lord again. I'm done. I'm tired. These were good men. These were God called people, but they got weary in well-doing. How does that happen to us? Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 73. I have a list of uh, some things that, that I wrote down, things that I know probably I've struggled with throughout my Christian life, those moments when I wanted to throw in the towel and I wanted to quit. But I know my list is by no means exhaustive, but maybe, maybe you'll find yourself in there just a little bit. Why do saints get weary in well-doing? Number one is I think sometimes we mistakenly envy sinners. The Bible says in Psalm 73, it is a psalm of Asaph. If you study your Bible history, Asaph was one of the singers and the leaders in the temple of Solomon. He wrote choir music. He directed choirs. There are several chapters in the book of Psalms that bear his name as being the human author. He starts this psalm out, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Is there anybody here that would say amen to that truth? Absolutely, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Asaph knew that truly God is good to Israel, even to such as of a clean heart. But look at verse 2. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say thus, I will, if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. If I told anybody how I was thinking right now, they'd all be mad at me. They'd all think the worst of me. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I grew up in the 1960s, and I can remember when the Ed Sullivan show hosted the Beatles. 
I remember the news reports as the boys from Liverpool uh, landed in New York City and tens of thousands of, of teenage girls screaming their brains out, you know, uh, passing out and all this kind of stuff because these four um, uh, the mop-headed guys came and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, they were a worldwide sensation uh, they, by the mid-1960s, they were already millionaires in a, in a day and age when a million dollars was worth a whole lot more than it even is now. It, at the height of their fame, John Lennon made the statement, said, we are more popular than Jesus Christ. He referred to the Lord Jesus Christ as a little, dirty, stinking, garlic-eating, and he had a, an expletive, a dirty word for the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, uh, there, there were some that turned against the Beatles because of his statements, but uh, by and large, the world already had embraced them. They could get away with everything. And it seemed that way. And, and uh, you know, we live in a world like that. Those who have the fame and have the, you know, they got money and they got mansions and, you know, all those kind of things. And here we are trying to live for God, trying to figure out how on earth we're going to pay the the, the bills this month. Well, let's see, I, if I take the gas bill and put it in the, off, the envelope for the electric bill and so forth, it'll just, they'll think it's a mistake and that'll buy me, you know, we come up with all kinds of stuff, uh, you know. That's what Asaph said. Donna, you like Ellen? Yeah. She's going to be at the altar saying, Lord, thank you for a pastor telling me how to pay my bills this month. Don't do that. Um, and, and sometimes we as believers are thinking, but, but they're having all the fun. May I remind you, John Lennon died by an assassin's bullet. And if he still retained that opinion of the Lord Jesus Christ in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. You understand, I, I realize not every one of them is going to end up uh, end their lives tragically. Some of them are going to live to be, you know, uh, 80, 90, uh, you know, maybe 100 years of age and so on and so forth. But, but sooner or later, uh, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. But Asaph said, here I am, I'm trying to live for God, and I know God is good to Israel. He's good to the people that have a clean heart, but I almost backslid. I almost threw in the towel because I was envious at the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 17, we'll go back to verse 16. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. It is not where they're at today that counts, it's where they're gonna end up. There was a rich man who had more, more money than he knew what to do with. And he said, I'm going to pull down my barns and I'm going to build greater. I've got much goods laid up for many years to come. And I'm going to say to my soul, arise, eat, drink, and be merry. And the Savior said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And to what benefit will all of those riches have done to you? And Asaph had to come back to the reality. He found it when he went into the temple, into the house of God. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? May I remind you that in 1 Kings 19, Elijah ran from the presence of Jezebel. The Lord was merciful to him and an angel showed up and gave him some food and he went back to sleep and the angel uh, kicked him awake again and, and said, arise and eat for the journey is too far for thee. And he, he arose and ate another meal. And the Bible says he went 40 days in the, the strength of that food till he came to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, 
I believe he went into the same cave where God hid Moses in, in that cleft of the rock. And there Elijah met with God. Elijah got his spirits revived. Elijah found out that God still had a plan for him. God wasn't done with him. In the end of the story, Elijah went to heaven in a chariot of fire. He's one of two people in the Bible that have yet to experience physical death. Do you understand that our Savior experienced physical death, but Elijah and Enoch never have? Oh, Jezebel, he went to heaven in uh, chariots of fire. Uh, she was trampled to death by a bunch of horses outside the palace walls. You see, God's in control, but sometimes if we're not careful, we're, we believe the commercials. We believe the billboards. And, and instead of believing the word of God. And when we do that, we start saying along with Asaph, why am I doing all this? And we get weary in well-doing. Something else that makes us get weary in well-doing. Turn to Jeremiah chapter nine. Jeremiah chapter nine. We, me we measure our success by results rather than faithfulness. Jeremiah chapter nine the prophet begins this chapter saying, oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men that I might leave my people and go from them for they be all adulterers and assembly of treacherous men. For they bend their tongues uh, like their bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. And he goes on and laments in all of this, uh, this, this uh, tact in, in there, because Jeremiah, it is said, is one of those preachers that had no converts. Philip went to Samaria, and the whole city turned to Christ. Uh, he went down into the, the wilderness between Jerusalem and Gaza and led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. Uh, everywhere Paul and Silas went, they saw, uh, they, they saw prisons shaken and they saw churches started and they saw wondrous uh, things happen in, the, in the, the work of God. Jeremiah didn't have that privilege. Didn't have that privilege. And he thought, I'm a failure. Nobody's listening. Everybody I'm preaching to just goes further and further away. They're all adulterers. They're all adulteresses. And he wasn't just talking about the physical act. He was talking spiritually. Instead of worshiping the one true God, they've created false gods with whom they would rather have a relationship than Jehovah God. And sometimes if we're not careful, we measure our success by results when God measures it by faithfulness. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. This is where we have the famous parable of the talents. A talent here is not an ability. It is a measurement of money. The Bible tells us uh, here, it's the Savior speaking. Verse 14, the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them as goods. Unto the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that, received, that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. He started with five, he ended with 10. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. He started with two, he ended with four. Which of them came back with the most? The first guy or the second guy? The first guy. 
He came back with 10. The second guy only came back with four. But he that had received the one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. So he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and what? Faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, Thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, what are you doing back here if that's all that you have to show for your work? Don't you see this guy? He has 10 talents and you have but four. You're a waste. You're a loser. Get out of my sight. See, that's how we measure success. You know, he dies with the most toys wins. That's not how God measures success. Let's read what the Bible actually says. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Could you please compare verse 21 with verse 23 and tell me the difference? Is there any difference at all in those two verses? Um, mine says both a few things. Your bifocals are messing you up there, Donna. It, it could have been almost like the Savior uh, Xerox them. They're, they're identical verses. One came back with 10, one came back with four. God wasn't rewarding the amount of money they came back with. God was rewarding the faithfulness. Sometimes we're worried uh, about those things in the service of the Lord. When we started our church in, in Pennsylvania, we worked very, very hard. Uh, we moved from New York, and in human terms, we, we could easily have thought that we sacrificed an awful lot to go there. We labored hard. We knocked on hundreds and hundreds of doors. We had nobody helping us out. And on the first Sunday, counting the five dishes, there were eight of us there. None of our converts showed up. Uh, I was out the day before, and I had dozens of people that said they were going to be there. We had 45 chairs set up for the first service, and there were eight of us, and, and, and two of them were down in the nursery with Trina, and that was Anna and Sarah. Um, it, it was a dismal start, and right from the get-go, uh, I, I was a failure. That's, that's what I thought. I took my phone off the hook that afternoon because I knew a lot of folks uh, were going to be calling to see how our first Sunday went, and I didn't want to tell anybody that we only had eight. Eventually, since we were living in my dad's house, I thought he probably would like me to put the phone back on the hook. So I did so. And immediately I got a phone call from a friend of mine in, in upstate New York who had started a church. And uh, he said, hey, brother. And he gave me his name, said, uh, how'd your first day go? And I didn't want to tell him. He said, okay, how, how many came today? I said, there were eight of us. He said, praise the Lord. I said, what do you mean, praise the Lord? No, nobody that we led to Christ came. Uh, it, it, what do you mean, praise the Lord? He said, you did what God told you to do, and, and everything else is up to God. And that was some of the best advice that I ever received. God rewards faithfulness. Paul said, I, I've planted an Apollos water, but God gives the increase. That, that all is up to him. 
But sometimes, because we don't understand that and we're comparing ourselves with someone who, who can do more or who has more or seeing bigger results than we are, um, and, and, and uh, all of a sudden, we get weary in well-doing. What's the point of me serving? They're, they're doing so much better than I am. No, you just, you be faithful right where you're supposed to be. How, how can we get weary in well-doing? Sometimes it's because we mistakenly envy sinners. Sometimes it's because we measure our success by results and not by faithfulness. Sometimes it's because we minimize our contribution. Well, I can't sing. Well, I can't play the piano. I, I, I'm, I'm not good in front of people. We minimize our contribution. Turn to Judges chapter 6, if you would, please. The Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 6. Israel was, was in bondage to the Midianites for some seven years. In verse number 11, there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. In order for them to have any food left over, they had to... They had to uh, uh, hide everything. They had to sneak around. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. The Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Look at verse 15. And he said, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon just underestimated what God could do. And he saw, look, I'm a nobody. My family's poor. I'm the youngest, the most insignificant in my family. How, how could you call me a mighty man of valor? How could you even pretend that you're going to save Israel with me? And he was minimizing anything he might contribute to the work of God. I was talking to, was talking with Sam the other day, this last Thursday. Sam had never had the privilege of, of meeting my wife. And uh, I started working with Sam just a little over a year after Trina had gone to heaven. But he'll talk with me about her a little bit and, and wants to know a little bit more about her. And um, I'm not sure how the conversation swung in this direction uh, this last Thursday. I said, Sam, my wife always thought that she failed as a pastor's wife. She always felt like she fell short. Uh, Trina did not like speaking in front of people. It was not her thing. Um, uh, the first time she tried it, she did this with a microphone all over the place. And we were like all going nuts because she was so nervous and she didn't know what to do with her hands. And it never was her thing in her mind. Um, there were other ladies that she knew, pastor's wives, and they were so eloquent and they could go to ladies' meetings and, and, and speak and, and people were moved and that just, that wasn't Trina's gift. But everybody in here knows you put her one-on-one -on -one with people and she could talk to the man in the moon. Uh, she didn't see red or yellow, black or white. She didn't see rich or poor. She didn't see big shot, little shot. She just saw people and she loved people everywhere she went. We'd go to the grocery store 
and stand in line and she'd have somebody's life story just waiting in, in the grocery line. She'd given somebody a gospel tract and I didn't know how she did that. I, I don't do well around people. I don't like people, but she could do it. She could do it. When uh, she got out of the hospital after her first surgery uh, in January of uh, 2017, the doctors at the hospital wanted her to go into a nursing facility for a few days to get some physical therapy and so forth. And so uh, uh, there was only one place available, only one place had a bed. It was, it was not far from our home. And uh, so we went there and it was uh, early evening by the time uh, that we had gotten her there and they discharged her from uh, where she was in New Britain. And we walked in and the, the place was really a shambles. Uh, much of it was under uh, construction being remodeling. They had one room left um, and, and it was not clean. Uh, it was not uh, well maintained in any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I, I just was, I was, I was crying because I just couldn't see leaving my wife uh, in a place such as that. Trina asked me if I could go home and uh, pick her up a few things and bring them back for her. So I did so, and when I got home, I got on my computer immediately and started uh, checking with all types of facilities like that in the area. And, and within a 30 to 40 mile radius, there were none that had any beds open, none that I found. And so I had to go back over there and I, I, I was going to be try to be strong for Trina. When I walked back in, Trina was was there, and there was her nurse that had been there to check her in, and she was holding Trina's hand, and the nurse was crying, and Trina was praying with her. And and I was I, I just kind of stayed quiet there until their prayer ended, and the, the nurse excused herself, and Trina just looked at me and she said. I'm meant to be here. This is where I'm supposed to be. And over the next couple of days, she witnessed to the cleaning lady. She, she witnessed to everybody that walked through that door, every single one of them. On her last morning there, uh, it was time for her to be discharged and, and she was gonna go home. Uh, two very well-dressed ladies walked through the door. They looked like they're probably in their late 30s, early 40s. Um, it turns out one of them was the director of the facility and the other lady was her assistant. They walked in and introduced themselves to us and they said, we know that you're going home here in just an hour or so, but we had to come see the lady that everybody's talking about. They mentioned by name one of the nurses that had been there with Trina, the lady going through so many trials, uh, just a heartbreaking story uh, that she was going through. And, then, and she'd opened up with Trina, and I think Trina might have led her to Christ. Uh, Trina had certainly prayed with her. She called that lady's name out and said, that lady talks to no one. That lady is bottled up, and, and we've just been worried that, that she, her anger and her hurt were just going to explode one of these days. But she came into our office and sat down in a chair and just sobbed and said, that lady with brain cancer has more joy in her life than I can even fathom and just went on and on about it. Trina had a gift, but it wasn't behind like a, a lectern or a pulpit or something like speaking to groups of ladies. And she always thought she failed. You know, if you're not careful, you'll think, well, my gift doesn't measure up with someone else's, so I'm not important in that. Gideon almost never even got into the ministry because that was his mindset. 
But as you're going through and you start comparing yourself with others, the Bible says we're not wise when we do that. You'll find yourself weary in well-doing saying, I'm not making any difference at all. Trina never was a public speaker, except for the very last time she spoke publicly. It was at our ladies' conference just a couple weeks before she went to heaven. Uh, Rebecca McCullough sat behind her in, in, in Trina's opening comments and had her phone out, and, and I've, I've got that video recorded, and I'll play it from time to time just so I can hear her voice again. But every time I, 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 I listen to it and I think, that, that woman was so eloquent that day. God was just flowing out of her that day. It was so incredible that day. But her gift was the one-on-one -on -one thing. If you were here at the time and we had the viewing for Trina, we had a line all the way down to the end of the school building for about four hours that Thursday night of people that just came through to pay their respects, to be, to be kind. And person after person said, Trina was the first person I met when he walked through the door of this church. And the minute I met her, I knew I was home. She here's a lady that most of her life thought she didn't measure up. You need to be careful of that. That's, that's a deceit that the devil plants in us. And if not, you're not careful, you'll be weary in well-doing. Let me hasten and uh, I'll be finished here tonight. Sometimes we get weary in well-doing because we meet with opposition. We meet with opposition. That's what happened to Elijah. He had a tremendous victory on the mountain. The fire fell down from heaven and the various, very next day, uh, Jezebel put a contract out on his life and said, by tomorrow at this time, you're gonna be just as dead as all of my priests and prophets of Baal. And he met with that opposition and I, I don't know why he was surprised at that, but some, somehow we always are. When I first got saved, I was so happy to be saved. It was the best thing that had ever happened to me. I thought everybody wanted, wants to know about that, but I found out I was wrong on that. Most people didn't. And sometimes when you've gotten cussed out or somebody rips the tract up and throws it back in your face, if you're not careful, that little op opposition will just be enough to push you over the edge. And like my friend Brian, you'll find yourself saying, I don't want to live this life anymore. I'm tired of this. And sometimes opposition will make us weary in well-doing. We live in a world that's diametrically opposed to God. Second Timothy chapter three says, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. That means dangerous times shall come. And he goes on with all the, the list of the sins and characteristics of, of what the world is going to be like in the last days. And every one of them describes where we're living right now. I, I read an article this afternoon that surprised me. The, the, the public library here in the town of Wallingford, conservative little, little Wallingford, uh, just had a pro-Palestinian speaker come in. Um, uh, unbelievable. Um, drag queens. Uh, the school district in Lebanon has a Satan club. Got 12 kids signed up. 12 sets of parents signed up and said, Billy Bob can go to a Satan club after school. It just, it would, yeah, elementary school. That's our world. That's our world. If, if you quote the Bible, you're considered some kind of freak. You're some kind of a goon. If, not, if we're not careful, we're going to let the world shout us down when the truth of the matter is we're right and they're wrong because we've got God's truth on our side. And, and, and we need to stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. It's not time for us to cower and run and, and so forth. That's not what our forefathers did, but opposition 
can wear us down and wear us out. Turn, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 3. There's one last thing, and I know my list is not complete and exhaustive. Something else that can cause us to get weary in well-doing is we misunderstand God's timetable. I want to know all the reasons now. I want to see how everything's going to work out now. I want to know why. God, why did you let this happen? Or why, God, why didn't you make this happen? I, I want to know that now. Um, and, and, and I get very impatient with the Lord as a result of it. Uh, look, if you would, please, in uh, verse number eight of Second Peter chapter three. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. God operates on a different time frame than you and I do. And we're always in a hurry for things to be done and fixed and over and, and all that kind of stuff. And God's not worried about, about anything at all. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 makes this remarkable statement. He hath made all things beautiful when? In his time. Romans 8, 28, if you know it, say it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. How many things work together for good? All things. Did God say that? Is it true? You and I need to be able to settle back and say, I, I don't see how this is good. I don't, I don't see uh, uh, how this is going to work together for good, but you said it will. Do you understand that when Joseph's story begins unfolding for us in Genesis 37, he's 17? It wasn't until he was 39 that his brothers bowed in front of him for the first time and he saw the first of his dreams fulfilled. Do you realize that's 22 years of being in a pit, being in Potiphar's house, being in a prison, uh, being in a foreign country. And even though the Pharaoh exalted him to number two in the kingdom, Joseph wasn't free to leave. He belonged to Pharaoh. He was at Pharaoh's bidding. 22 years. You understand David was a youth when Samuel came into Bethlehem and anointed him with oil and said, you're going to be the king over all of Israel. Uh, most scholars believe he was 38 years old before he ruled over all of Israel, all 12 tribes. During the interim, he, he was chased. He was lied about. He was falsely accused. Uh, Saul tried to kill him. Uh, there were a couple times he made some bad decisions and he was in enemy territory and he was surrounded. Yet God had a plan and, and it came to pass in God's time because God makes everything beautiful in his time. What do we do when we find ourselves getting weary and well-doing? Go back, if you would, to Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to give you three things very quickly and we're going to be done. Number one, claim God's promises. The Bible says, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap, last four words, if we faint not. You quit, you forfeit the harvest. You quit, you forfeit, Romans 8, 28. Do you understand that, that, that Joseph could have given in to Potiphar's wife and said, why should I live for God? 
I've loved God from the time that I was a child. I've stood for God when nobody else would. I've conveyed God's messages when God spoke to me and even my own dad threw me under the bus. My brothers treated me this way. And if that's the way God's gonna be, then why in the world should I stay faithful to God? And he could have gone off with Potiphar's wife. And I don't know that we'd ever hear anything else about Joseph ever. But here's a young man that said, I'm not gonna give up because God is still God and God is still good. Even though Romans 8, 28 wasn't written yet in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he tells his brothers an Old Testament version of that. He says, but as for you, you meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it for good to save much people alive as it is this day. Grab a hold of God's promises. God doesn't lie. God doesn't renege on his promises. He said that if we're not weary in well-doing, if we do not faint, we shall reap but it's in due season. You don't reap on the same day you plant. And sometimes the harvest is way out there, but you have God's word, claim God's promise. Number two, cling to God's power. Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. You know the verse. You can say it with me. You don't even have to look at it. Verse 13. Say it with me, church. Ready? I can do some things. No, it sounds like we're speaking in tongues there. Everybody got tripped up. Try it again. I can do most things. I've got a kid yelling at me now. <laughs> Let's do it right. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You can get through this trial through Christ. You can get through another day through Christ. You can, you can keep serving through Christ. I know, I, I know sometimes the body gets tired and that's one thing. It's when the spirit gets tired. It's when the spirit gets tired. That's when it gets hard to put one foot in front of the other. But Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can be, I can abound. I can be abased. It doesn't matter. Christ, Christ's strength keeps me going through all of it. So claim the promise of God. Cling to God's power. Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1 and console yourself in God's purpose. Do you suppose Paul enjoyed being a prisoner? Yes or no? Do you suppose that shipwreck was enjoyable? How about getting beaten with rods? Like, yeah, do that one again. Get it right down here in the lower back. You, you list, he listened in, in Corinthians uh, on two different times the things that he went through. Not a one of them were things that he signed up for. They're not things he said, hey, I hope that happens again. But he just kept on going. Philippians is a prison epistle. Paul is in jail and he'll never get out. It's the Roman prison. It's only a matter of maybe a couple of years before he will step out into eternity. Verse 12, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto, which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. They know I'm not going to back down. What then? 
Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Isn't that an amazing testimony? That even he said the prison is a good place when God's involved in it. Console yourself with God's purpose. That young man, Brian, that I talked to you about that I've been in touch with over the last five years, he is a remarkable young man. He scared me with that post that he put up, I I don't want to live this life anymore. I'm tired of this. The suicide rate among amputees is 60% higher than other groups. And our, that rate in our country, sadly, is a horribly high number. But for, for amputees, it's 60% higher than it is for everybody else. I'm going to be honest. When I read his words, and I'm, I'm not alone in that, I read the comments that came down. Everybody was just as afraid of what Brian might do in a weak moment as I was. And uh, it was just amazing to watch amputees from all over America, many that have never talked to him, met him in person, just pouring out their love, pouring out their encouragement. By the way, did you know that's what we're supposed to do for each other? We're supposed to provoke one another to love and to good works. How many of you need somebody to tear you down? Anybody? I got some volunteers or people that are really good at it. None of us need that. And that's what Brian found. I, I got to have several good conversations with him via the Facebook Messenger. And it was a joy to my heart about a week or so later, he just put two words on a post. I'm back. I'm back. He posted yesterday a picture of him watching how the Grinch stole Christmas with his little boy in his arms and just two happy guys enjoying their time together. Um, he, uh, he got a little bit weary in well-doing, and we all get there. But don't let that be your excuse to quit because, you see, God is still good, and God is still God. I don't know if you need it. I know that I need the message that I just preached tonight, and so I hope you enjoyed listening to me preach to myself. Can we pray together? Lord, thank you.